You know, we have studied each week different aspects of Daniel's life, his attitude, his habits. And one thing I want to note about Daniel's life, and that is that he was careful in his words. Now, we know that he prayed, and we're actually going to be talking about prayer today, what he teaches us about prayer, but I want to go a little bit beyond for just a moment, because I believe Daniel understood that God, yes, he hears our prayers, but I believe he wants you to understand that he hears more than your prayers. God hears your conversations. Isn't that a scary thought? Now, why would I believe that Daniel believes this and that that caused him to guard his tongue? Well, actually, there are several references in the Old Testament that give us the idea, the understanding that God is listening, not just to our prayers. He's listening to our talk. He's listening to our conversation. Look what he said in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 1. He says this. He says, but you rebelled against the command of the Lord your God and refused to go in, referring to the promised land. You complained in your tents and said, the Lord must hate us. That's why he's brought us here from Egypt to hand us over to the Amorites to be slaughtered. Where can we go? Our brothers have demoralized us with their report. They tell us the people of the land are taller and more powerful than we are, and their towns are large with walls rising high into the sky. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. So God repeats some things they said in their tents. Isn't that amazing? God listens to your everyday conversation. Not only your conversations with one another, just your conversations by yourself. You see, God finds out what's really in your heart. Many times by the things you say. And I was going through the book of Malachi the other day, my wife and I, and we, I was just amazed something that we saw in the book of Malachi. I want you to see this because it relates to the same idea. It's in Malachi chapter 3, and I want to pick up verse 16. It says this, Then those who feared the Lord spoke with each other. So this is the conversation. And the Lord listened to what they said. In His presence... A scroll of remembrance was written to record the names of those who feared him and always thought about the honor of his name. Did you catch that? A book of remembrance is written for those who feared him and always thought about the honor of his name. They will be my people, says the Lord of heaven's armies. On that, the day when I act in judgment, they will be my own special treasure. I will spare them as a father spares an obedient child. 
Verse 18, then you will see the difference between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. Think about it. Have you ever considered what is written in your book of remembrance? Are you one of those who fear his name, who honor him, who give honor to who God is? Now, this list and says that there is a book of remembrance, and the names are written down for those people. Because he listens to their conversations, but just a few verses ahead before this, he also recorded some other conversations. Let's look at those, a little bit different. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. You have said terrible things about me, says the Lord, but you say, what do you mean? What have we said against you? You have said, what's the use of serving God? What have we gained by obeying his commands or by trying to show the Lord of heaven's armies that we are sorry for our sins? From now on, we will call the arrogant blessed. For those who do evil to get rich and those who dare God to punish them, they suffer no harm. God listens to what you say. And it matters what you say. If you have come to a point where you said it's no good, serving God's no good, it seems like all the evil people get away with everything and it doesn't seem to be any, uh, you know, worth to serving God. If you begin to talk like that and you begin to think like that, I just want you to understand God remembers. But if you fear his name and you honor the Lord and you speak of his honor and you declare his honor, God says, get the book out. <laughs> get the book of remembrance. Write it down. My person, my child, loves me, honors my name, fears my name, write it down. So that when the time of judgment comes, I'm going to treat them as my own special treasure. I love that. And he said, and then you will see the difference between the righteous and the unrighteous. So again... What is written in your book of remembrance? What have you been talking about this last week? What do you say about the Lord? And I find it a little interesting that the verse we read in Deuteronomy said, they complained in their tents as if the tents were kind of like a secret place where God couldn't hear. <laughs> you know, a couple of Months ago, I don't know, you remember this guy Snowden, uh, he worked for the NSA, that's the National Security Agency, and uh, it was, he began to report how that the National Security Agency listens in on all of our conversations. And of course, he had to 
flee the country and hide and because, you know, they were going to be after him. And, and, but I want to tell you, even though the NSA listens in on all your telephone conversations, God has a better listening system. He listens in your tent, your house, your car, by yourself, no cell phones, he hears. And so I believe Daniel understood this. And he guarded his tongue. And when he prayed, he prayed with power. And what we want to do today is we want to look at the prayer that he prayed in Daniel chapter 9 because Daniel prayed for his nation. And I just want to say this. I said it last week. I'm going to repeat it again. Our nation faces a critical point in our nation. We can go one way or the other as a nation. And I believe God hears the prayers of his people. I have not given up on America. I have not thrown it all over and said there is no hope. I believe when there is God, there is always hope. There is always a hope of righteousness. But I believe God's people have to pray. So what I want us to see is I want us to see the elements, the principles that Daniel employed, and what you will find is that the four simple principles that Daniel employed as he prayed in Daniel chapter 9 become the elements or the principles that we can use in prayer that has powerful results, powerful answers. He's praying for his nation. He's praying for the restoration and healing of his nation. And we need healing and restoration of our nation. So I'm going to ask you to listen carefully to these principles and challenge you, encourage you to begin to employ these principles in your prayer life as you pray for one another, as you pray for your own self, but more importantly, as you pray for our nation. So what can we learn about prayer? First of all, we humble ourselves before God. There is no doubt that Daniel humbled himself before God. Look at Daniel chapter 9, verse 2 and 3. It says this. It says, during the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, learned from reading the word of the Lord as revealed to Jeremiah the prophet that Jerusalem must lie desolate for 70 years. We talked about this last week. So I turned to the Lord, look what he did, and pleaded with him in prayer and fasting. I also wore rough burlap, and I sprinkled myself with ashes. All those things were a picture or a symbol of humility. And first of all, humility is a position of the heart. Humility is the position of the heart. Of your heart. Yes, you can kneel, you can lie prostrate on the floor, but first and foremost, there has to be the yielding of our hearts in a position because to me, humility is the recognition of who God is and who we really are in relationship to who He is. 
And if we see God as who he is, we humble ourselves. I love the the picture we see in the book of Isaiah where Isaiah, at the beginning, he says, I saw the Lord, and he was high and lifted up and exalted, and his train filled the temple. In other words, he saw a picture and a glimpse of who God was, and his immediate response was, oh, how wicked I am, and my words are so unclean. You see, when we see who he is, we also recognize how unclean we are. So the very first thing we have to do and is humble ourselves. We see this, I know we, we've read about this before, but Second Chronicles seven fourteen, powerful verse. Notice how it starts. If my people who are called by my name, what do they need to do? Humble themselves. So the very first thing, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. I will hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sin and I'll restore their land. So here he tells us the very first thing, if my people will humble themselves. If you want to have power in prayer, humble yourself before God Almighty. In other words, you don't take the position of casually coming and saying, well, i got something I'd like to discuss with you, and if you don't mind, uh, you know, I've got some time now, and I'd like to talk to you about this. I don't think that casual attitude cuts it. We humble ourselves. And as Daniel did, and if you remember, praying got him thrown into the lion's den. And remember how he prayed? It says every day, three days, uh, three times a day, he knelt before the Lord, opened the windows toward Jerusalem, and knelt down and prayed and sought God's face. And the kneeling is a picture of the kneeling of our heart, the position of our heart. So if we're going to have power, if you're going to effect kingdoms, and nations, and families, you start with humility. The second thing, and that is, we acknowledge that we have sinned. We acknowledge that we have sinned. You come clean about the fact that we have sinned against a holy God. You see this in the book of Daniel chapter 9. Uh, We read just verse 4 last week. Let's pick up with verse 4 and go all the way down to 8 and see the, the, the whole attitude and atmosphere of Daniel's heart as he prayed and sought God. Let's pick up at verse 4. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, Oh Lord, you are great and awesome God. You always fulfill your covenant and keep your promises of unfailing love to those who love you and obey your command. But we have sinned and done wrong. We have rebelled against you and scorned your commands and regulations. We have refused to listen to your servants, the prophets, who spoke on your authority to our kings and princes and ancestors and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are in the right, but as you see, our faces are covered with shame. This is true of all of us, including the people of Judah and Jerusalem and all Israel, scattered near and far wherever you have driven us because of our disloyalty to you. Verse 8, O Lord, we And our kings and our princes and our ancestors are covered with shame. 
because we have sinned against you. Now, here's the key thing. He's praying for his nation. And Daniel was not an individual, as far as we can tell, that lived a life of sin. But he takes upon himself the responsibility of acknowledging the sin of his nation. He doesn't say, I'm innocent, Lord, but everybody else is guilty. He says, oh God, we have sinned against you. We have turned against you. He joins himself in because the truth of it is, is that our nation, America, we have sinned against the holy God. And the the list of our sins are long. They're grievous to the heart of God, beginning with abortion, but continuing in so many areas. Basically, we have done everything we can to get God out of every aspect of our life. And for me, I believe it began in our nation when we took prayer out of schools. I remember the day, I remember when the Supreme Court ruled in favor of Madeleine Murray O'Hare, an avowed atheist, and ruled in her favor that prayer could not be uttered in prayer in public schools, public places. And little did we know that was just the tip of the iceberg. They've used that one little area to now you can't have Christmas, uh, you know, a display for Christmas nativity scenes in, in public places. Now they're taking away every aspect. Now you will even find the, the Pledge of Allegiance is under attack. The singing of the national anthem is under attack. Every aspect of God is is being attacked in every way possible. And it's been amazing to me that so many people in leadership, our politicians and our leaders, are so afraid of the Bible and God. The God they say they don't believe in, they're scared to death of. Why? Because God and the Bible, it reminds them that we have sinned against a holy God. That's what it means. It tells them there is a holy God and we have sinned against a holy God. And they don't want that. But I want you to understand that if we're going to have power and prayer... First, we humble ourselves before God, and then we we acknowledge we have sinned against a holy God. And you may say, well, I haven't done anything wrong. First of all, you're a little prideful in doing that. But even if you say, okay, I hadn't done a whole lot of bad things, even then, we have to come to the place where we understand we as a nation or corporately, we are all together in this. And when God judges a nation... There will be judgment that will fall upon the just and the unjust, the righteous and the unrighteous. And many of the things that have happened in America 
have, become, have happened because the church was asleep or was unwilling to stand up at the proper time. For unrighteousness to succeed, righteous people have to keep their mouth shut. And unfortunately, we have. So we have to come clean. We have to acknowledge, I've sinned. I've done the wrong thing. And, and, and I know we spoke this a minute ago. But when, when he says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and turn from their wicked ways, that's acknowledging sin. So we have to come to that place where we say, Lord, I have sinned against a holy God. We have to come to that place where we can acknowledge our sin before God. And the third thing that I see as far as a principle, and I believe these are powerful aspects of prayer, and that is we, we take ownership for where we are. And I know you may think, well, isn't that the same thing as acknowledging that we're sinful? Not really. I see it as something different. And I want you to see what Daniel prays. We're going to look at the same Daniel chapter 9, but I want us to look at, at verse 11 through 14. Look what he says, and look at the way he says it. All Israel has disobeyed your instruction and turned away, refusing to listen to your voice. So now the solemn curses and judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured down on us because of our sin. You have kept your word and done to us and our rulers exactly as you warned. Never has there been such a disaster as happened in Jerusalem. And it's true. Jerusalem had never been taken. It had never fallen. It's the first time Jerusalem had ever fallen. But God warned them. He said, every curse written against us in the law of Moses has come true. And he's referring to Deuteronomy chapter 28. Yet we refuse to seek mercy from the Lord our God by turning from our sin and recognizing his truth. Therefore, the Lord has brought upon us the disaster he prepared. The Lord our God was right to do all of these things, but we did not obey him. And here's, this is to me is a key. On one hand, we can say we've sinned. And at the same time, if we're not careful, we harbor bitterness at God for the things that have happened. We get angry at God because this happened and that happened. And we harbor, God, why did you, quote, let this happen? Why did this happen? And on one hand, we say we're, we're sin, but on the other hand, we're angry at God. But to clear the slate... And to prepare us for the next step that I believe is where the power is. Not only do we have to acknowledge our sin. But we have to acknowledge that we are where we are because of our own actions. Because of what we have done. And that God is right in doing what he has done. In other words what we're doing is we're absolving all blame from God. We're not blaming God in any way. We're saying listen this is my fault. 
And you know, and this is powerful in your individual prayer life. If you want to come to God and have power in prayer, not only acknowledge your sin, but come before God and say, Lord, you're right. And I'm wrong. And I'm in this situation because of my own choices. You know, I've already decided that both God and the devil get blamed for a lot of things that they didn't do. We love to blame God. We love to blame the devil. But sometimes we have to come to the point where we say, listen, my choices, my decisions have caused what is happening right now in my life. And until we take ownership for that, healing can't start. Restoration can't start. And that has to happen for our nation. And that's, that's the difficult thing. It's not an easy thing. Even harder, our leadership of our nation needs to come to a place where we recognize that the terrible things that are happening are our fault. And it's so easy to blame somebody else. But we have turned against a holy God. We have sought our own way, done our own thing. And, and going back just to, just to that verse that we said there, the end there, he said, therefore, in verse 14, he said, therefore, the Lord has brought upon us the disaster he prepared. The Lord, our God, was right to do all these things, but we did not obey him. So you have to take ownership. You know, I always think about David. You remember he committed adultery, murdered Uriah, his best friend, one of his best friends. Finally, Nathan the prophet pointed at him and said, you're the man. And I was always interested in one of the things that David wrote in Psalm 51 when he was acknowledging his sin. Look, if you would, to Psalm 51, just verse 4. The whole chapter is talking about him acknowledging his sin. But look what he said in verse 4. He says, against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. Look at this. You will be proved right in what you say and your judgment against me is just. If we want to have great power as we come to God in prayer, we number one, we humble ourselves before God and then we acknowledge our sin, but then we also take ownership, absolving all blame from God and we take ownership and say, Lord, I am where I am because of my own choices. And you were just and you were right. And that sets us up to come to the most powerful aspect of God's nature, his mercy. And number four, we appeal to God's mercy. Now, I, I just want to say this. If you start with number four, you will not be successful. If you saunter into God's presence casually and start appealing to God's mercy, I just want to tell you, most likely, God's not interested. 
But if you will humble yourself and acknowledge your sin and take ownership for where you are, then you've got God's attention. Then we can come and appeal to God's great mercy. God has a merciful heart. Look what Daniel says in Daniel chapter 9. Look at verse 15. O Lord our God, you brought lasting honor to your name by rescuing your people from Egypt in a great display of power, but we have sinned and are full of wickedness in view of all of your faithful mercies. I love it. Lord, please turn your furious anger away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain. All the neighboring nations mock Jerusalem and your people because of our sins and the sins of our ancestors. Verse 17. Oh, Lord, our God, hear your servant's prayer. Listen as I plead. For your own sake, Lord, smile again on your desolate sanctuary. Oh, my God, lean down and listen to me. Open your eyes and see our despair. See how your city, the city that bears your name, lies in ruin. But we make this plea, not because we deserve help. But because of what? But because of your mercy. What if you read verse 18 a little differently? Oh my God, lean down and listen to me. Open your eyes and see our despair. See how the nation of America, the nation that once bore your name, look Lord how it lies in ruins. We make this plea not because we deserve help, but Lord because of your great mercy. There is an amazing power, an anointing that happens when you appeal to God's mercy. Something happens. And for years I I prayed, I said, Lord, what is so powerful about appealing to your mercy? Because throughout the word, God responds when people cry out for his mercy. It's amazing. Someday, if you want to do a great word study, go through the Bible and look at all the times they cry out for mercy and God hears. I want you to look at James 2.13. Jumping over the New Testament. Says this. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. And then it says this, mercy triumphs (laughs) over judgment. What in the world is he saying? First part's pretty obvious. We can't expect mercy. If we don't show mercy. And if you don't want to show mercy to people. You better not be expecting any mercy. Because God gives mercy to those who will show mercy. And then he says. For mercy triumphs over judgment. And as soon as you see that. I see a picture. And if you were here months ago. We did a a series on the tabernacle. 
And one of the pieces that we studied in the tabernacle was the ark and the mercy seat. And the mercy seat sat on top of the ark. Inside of the ark was the Ten Commandments. And on top of the mercy seat was a gold cover that was called the mercy seat. It had the seraphim on both sides and the wingtips almost touched. And right there, God says, my presence will be right there on top of the mercy seat. And immediately you see the picture. God's presence and his mercy is over his commandments. It tells me that God would always prefer mercy. If God's going to choose between mercy and judgment, he would prefer that mercy would triumph over judgment. And again, I say, why? Why? Let me tell you the world's greatest love story. Mankind was lost, separated from God, heading to hell. And God loved us so much and wanted to have a relationship with you so much that he sent his son to the earth lived a sinless life, and then sent his son, Jesus, to a cruel death on the cross, that his incorruptible blood would be shed. And then that incorruptible blood would be taken and placed on the holy of holies in heaven, and the sin debt for mankind would be paid so that God could once again have relationship with mankind. Why does mercy triumph over judgment? Because when you appeal to God's mercy, it's like God saying, I love it. Because it reminds God of his great plan. His plan was never judgment. That was never God's plan to create us, create a world create you and I. His plan was never to create us, to destroy us. His plan was to create us, to love us, to have a relationship with us. That was always God's plan. And so when you appeal to God's mercy, it reminds God the reason he created you. It reminds God of his son Jesus who died on the cross for you. So that his blood could pay for your sin. So that we could have a relationship with. And we could be restored. Mercy. Is what he came for. The greatest love story. In the whole universe. God. Reconciling mankind to himself. By the blood of his own son Jesus. It's mercy. If God gave us what we deserved, we'd all be burned to a crisp. We'd be toast. That's the truth. And before you get haughty and arrogant and condemning and judging towards someone for something they've done, just remember, mercy is given to those who show mercy. So be careful. If you're going to err, 
err on the side of mercy. Give mercy. And I ask you to bow your heads. Today, we come before you, Lord. Lord, we, we see the picture. We see the example, the life of Daniel as he prayed and as he humbled himself, he acknowledged the sin of his nation. He took ownership for where they were and then, Lord, he appealed to you for mercy. So, Lord, we take those same principles And we want to pray, Lord, for our nation because we are in a desperate situation. Our nation lies in ruins. The foundations of Christianity are in ruins in our nation. And we are desperately in need to be restored, to be healed, O Lord. And we need your help. We need your help, O Lord. And Lord, in this room, I believe you have brought people into this building that needed to hear about the greatest love story ever told. There are people in this room today that need that forgiveness that only comes by the blood of Jesus. They need to be born again by the Spirit of the living God. They need to come alive again and have their life restored through forgiveness. And Lord, I pray that they would be willing to respond to your Holy Spirit. We come to you, Lord. We ask you for your mercy. You would touch your people and you would draw people there I know there are people here today that that need you that need to turn their life over to you that that need Jesus Lord I pray that today they would not put it off for another day but today would be the day they surrender their life to you thank you Lord Thank you, Lord. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet if you would. We're going to sing if you would. Please be patient. Please don't slip out. Holy moment. As they sing, I'm going to ask that if you need to give your heart and your life to Jesus, I'm going to ask you to make your way out of your seat. Come right down here. I want to pray with you. You want to turn your life over to Jesus. Say, I need that great forgiveness that only comes by the blood of Jesus. Worship team is going to sing. I'm going to ask you just to make your way quickly down here and let me pray with you. Would you come? Just make your way down. Anybody? Would you come? Yes. Come on. Come on. Anybody else? Would you come? Yes, thank you, young lady. Anybody else? I believe there's some other people 
that need to give their heart and their life to Jesus. You need to surrender and just ask Him to receive. It's amazing how this great forgiveness is available to every person in here, but you have to be willing to receive that. Would you come? Anybody? Anyone else? Before we pray with these two. Thank you, Lord. Anybody else? Let's sing it out loud. I want to know personal decision of surrender to him not a joining of a church or anything this is this is a spiritual I guess the best way is a spiritual transplant God takes out your old heart and he gives you a new heart forgives you of all of your sin and makes you a brand new person forgives you of all of your sin the past and he comes to live and abide and dwell inside of you in the person of the Holy Spirit you will never be the same and in addition to that you receive eternal life <laughs> how about that eternal life forever with him everybody with me okay this is what we want to do kind of if you don't mind kind of join hands with one another those of you who are coming yeah join hands out there if you would just join hands and we're going to agree and pray for these to be born into the kingdom of God. Let's pray out loud if we could. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we give you our heart, Lord. We surrender to you. We acknowledge we're a sinner. We ask you to give us a new heart. Help us, Lord. Fill us with the Holy Spirit. I accept the blood of Jesus as the forgiveness for my sin. Today, I am born again. I will never be the same. I give my life to you. Live inside of me, Lord, forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.